Well, we're wrapping up our series today and next Sunday. We've been studying the gospel-centered life. And if you've been part of some of our community groups, we did community groups around this topic, gospel-centered life, and we also had some dinner parties this summer. We've covered a wide variety of topics, basic theology and discipleship of the Christian faith. So things like... The law and the gospel, pretending and performing, believing the gospel, heart idolatry, mission, repentance. Next week is conflict with our pastor Paul. Our lead pastor Paul is going to be here, which will be great. If you love conflict or you hate it, recommend you come. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then today I have the honor and privilege of talking about forgiveness, which is something I'm very passionate about. I've actually had to teach about forgiveness twice in the last two months. So clearly the Lord is trying to give me a personal word. which I think is a little bit rude, but I'll take it. (laughs) Cody's on the front row asking, are you listening? Yes. Yes, I love you. (laughs) So Corey Ten Boom, one of my favorite people and one of my favorite authors, she said this, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Her book, The Hiding Place, had a tremendous impact on me and my faith. She shares her own story about being in the Holocaust, being in a concentration camp in the Holocaust with her sister in the book, The Hiding Place. Corey and her sister Betsy were Christians, and they were living in Holland during the Nazi takeover. So the Nazis came in to take over in Holland, and they were actually Christians who believed that all people were made in the image of God, that every person was equal in the sight of God. And so they were hiding Jews in the attic of their home. They got captured. They got caught. And then they were moved, these two sisters, to a concentration camp, which is north of Berlin, called Ravensbrück. Ravensbrück was very unusual because it was one of the few camps that was only female. And between the years of 1939 and 1945, it's estimated that 130,000 or more women and children came through that concentration camp. The largest single national group consisted of 40,000 Polish women, 26,000 Jewish women from all countries, 18,000 Russian women, 8,000 French women, and 1,000 Dutch women. And the other interesting thing about this camp is that more than 80% of the people there were political prisoners. At the end of their time, when liberation came, out of that 130,000 women, only 15,000 survived and were liberated. Betsy, Corey's sister, actually died in that concentration camp. And Corey Ten Boom went home for a time to Holland at the end of the war in 1945. She was home for close to two years when she felt like God was calling her back to Germany to preach the word of God, bringing to Germany a message of God's forgiveness. Can you imagine you leave the place of the deepest hell you could ever experience get home and God called you back to the place he had freed you from. She was preaching one time in a church in Munich, Germany, and she was sharing this message that if we confess our sins, that God cast them into the deepest ocean, they are gone forever. And when she finished, a man came to greet her. She stood terrified because she realized that he had been a prison guard at Ravensbrück. He came up to her afterward, and he extended his hand and said, Fraulein, that was a great message. It's good to hear that God can forgive us of all of our sin. And she didn't know what to do. She was terrified and afraid, so she stuck her hand inside of her purse. Then he said to her, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard in that camp. 
But since that time, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Frolin, will you forgive me? And she writes this. And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for those who had been victims of Nazi Germany. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You can supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands and the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to have the kind of relationship that no matter what the offense is, no matter what my offender has done through a process, through a supernatural divine encounter with God, I would be able to forgive, be able to let go because forgiveness is the crux of the Christian faith. It is the reason that we praise God. It is the reason that we serve him with gladness. It is the reason that we receive his mercy and his grace because of what he did on the cross to forgive us and enable us to forgive others. But guys, come on. As I hear Corey's story, as I read it with my eyes and say it out loud to you, I'm like, Lord, I got a long way to go because I'm still mad about something that happened on the train yesterday. I'm irritated when somebody treats me bad because they're having a bad day. I get angry when I walk down the street and someone cat calls me. It makes me nuts. It makes me turn into not a Christian. I want to throw punch them. <laughs> like, is this working for you? Why are you still doing it? <laughs> God. <laughs> like, stop it. <laughs> and obviously, if you're anything like me, I have so many things that are deeper than that that I need to walk in forgiveness from. <laughs> and forgiveness is difficult. But in this life, we will have ample opportunity to practice forgiveness. And while it might be a struggle, it's also transformative. We all need forgiveness, and we all have the need to forgive others. 
Forgiveness has the power to set us free from our past, from our addictions, from our insecurities. It's even something that can heal your body. They have actually traced breast cancer back to unforgiveness. There have been studies that show the impact of unforgiveness can manifest in your body with the disease. Unforgiveness gets a hold on us, and it will come out somewhere. It gives us freedom when we walk in forgiveness from dysfunction and our dysfunctional relationships, from our mistakes, from our failures, from our open wounds, from our bitterness, our cynicism, our critical spirit, from the offense that we keep holding on to that is literally destroying our life. Friend, I don't know what you came in here with this morning. <laughs> you might be experiencing tremendous loss or grief. There could have been a falling out in your life, a betrayal. Maybe you're trying to overcome abuse from your past or in your life. Maybe some folks that you thought were your friends turned out to be phony friends. And now you got to start all over again. Maybe your business endeavors have not gone the way that you hoped. You trusted God. You did everything right. And it's still not what it should be. Maybe you're sitting in church right now thinking to yourself how much you hate the church. And you're considering walking away for good. I've been there. <laughs> and maybe you've just had it up to here. All done with all the things. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. And there's no way to really trace it back to why you feel this way. But if you really had to put your finger on it, there's just this thing of disappointment sitting there. Oh, it's just not what I expected. Now you're living on the edge. Or perhaps you feel dull, worn out, depressed. You might feel unseen, unknown, not heard. But I'm here to bring comfort to you this morning because we have a God, an everlasting Father, a faithful friend who sees you, who knows you, who hears you, and not in a creepy, controlling way, in a way that says, I love you. I love everything about you. The way that I made you is right and good and true. I love you. I'm excited to be with you. I love being in your presence. You do not annoy me. I love you. I definitely don't know everything. <laughs> I'm on the journey just like you with forgiveness. But one thing I do know is this, that freedom starts with forgiveness. Let me pray for us this morning as we dive into God's word. Jesus, I thank you for your people that are here this morning. And I pray, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would work in our lives. God, I pray that where people might have come in here with heaviness on them, Lord, that you would lift that load. God, where people came in here feeling dull, Lord, let the word sharpen people back to who you created them to be. God, people who feel like they just have chains around their necks, God, tapes playing from their past, old voices haunting them, God, torment. Jesus, would just set your people free. You are able, God. And not only are you able, but you are willing because you love us. You created every one of us in your image, God. And I pray that people would be affirmed, that they would feel loved and strengthened and encouraged and empowered to do what you've called them to do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and trust you. Amen. Our text for today is in the book of Matthew, which is one of the four Gospels. One of the first ones, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're new, the Gospels are an awesome place to start because Jesus is just like a freaking wild man. So if you've never read the Bible before, you'll be like, whoa, this dude's crazy. And for those who have been in church a while, we're like, great story, love it. <laughs> but the first time you read it, you're like, dang, the dude's crazy. <laughs> 
So Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I love Peter. He's wild. Like he either is really, really right or really, really wrong, <laughs> which is great. Anybody else fall in that category? No middle grounds at all? Oh, I have no one else, just me? Oh, yeah, four of us. Awesome. Liars. <laughs> this is New York. I know there's more of you. <laughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him up and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went and had the, mo the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. I also wondered, did they also owe him money? They're like, Master, can you lock this guy up? Because he's coming for me. <laughs> Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I love that in this passage of scripture that Jesus chooses to use money as an example of forgiveness. You know why? Because we're all a little funny about our money. Everybody. It can stir up like anxiety and nervousness and fear. It can stir up all kinds of different things in us. Worry, concern. Like, I don't know if there's enough. I don't know if I should do good with it. I don't know if I should hoard it. Ah! Money makes us crazy, I think, if we let it. So he chooses this. The man literally owed his king 10,000 bags of gold. I literally don't have a clue how much money that is, but I'm pretty sure you could do a lot with some cash like that. But this parable is, is a story. It's literally a story told to illustrate a point. So the circumstances are not shared with us. But when I inject myself into the story, I wonder, <laughs> what could have happened that would put a person this far under? The story says that he was a servant to the king. Who decides to spend 10,000 pounds of the king's gold? Who decides to do that? This sounds like bad math. And I wonder, did he run a business for the king that failed? Was he living large like the king instead of stewarding the resources that he had been given? Did he try to build a ship or a building and run out of money and never be able to turn a profit? Did he completely blow the money on an addiction? Was he just irresponsible? Was he loaning out money to the other, other servants? Like, is there a gambling ring happening? What is really going on? I don't know. But whatever is happening in the story, he has a come-to-Jesus moment when the king comes to collect. Please don't sell my wife. Please don't sell my children. Please don't sell my possessions. Have mercy on me. And the king says, granted. And then in the face of that mercy, he goes, chokes another servant who owes him money. I looked up this hundred silver coins because it seems like in comparison to the 10,000 pounds of gold that like, so that's not a big deal. What is that, like 50 cents? I don't know. But then when I looked it up, it's actually a hundred days worth of wages. So the point of the story is for us to see that the offense between the two servants was not insignificant. It actually mattered. He had basically stolen a hundred days worth of wages from the other servant. 
it only pales in comparison to the debt that the king forgave him. They want us to see how significant this is. He violently attacks the man and refuses to give him mercy. And Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. He locks him up again. The king locks him up and says, forget it. I was merciful and you were not merciful. I'm locking you up. I think about what Corey said. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. Unforgiveness, lack of mercy becomes this internal prison of pain, torment that expresses itself in fear and anxiety, in violence. We become invalids in our purpose, invalids in our dreams, in our desires, invalids in our sense of hope, invalids in our relationships, stagnant, paralyzed, operating from scarcity instead of from generosity. We're all on this earth, just like the servants in the parable, to steward whatever we have been given, the relationships that we have, the job that we currently have, even if we hate it. We are stewarding something. The time in history that we live in, we are stewarding this time in history. We won't get it back. The moment's already gone. What are we doing with the time that God stuck us in? We want to be people who treat others well in the process of growing in forgiveness. Treat others well in the process of going and growing in our purpose. We have to forgive. And we do it because we have been forgiven. That's why. Our Father in heaven has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We have received the greatest gift imaginable. A God who came down from heaven to this earth as a man who died in our place. <laughs> so you don't have to die for all that sin. I will take it. I'll take it on. And he forgave us for every sin that we have committed or ever would commit. So how can when we have the chance to extend mercy, when we have the chance to extend forgiveness, why do we withhold it? C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We forgive because it releases and allows us to live a life of love as Jesus commands. I was reminded by the prayer team this morning that forgiveness is actually a key it unlocks what God has for us. You stop seeing things through the lens of what happened and begin to see what is possible beyond the realm of your hurt, beyond the realm of your mistakes. You begin to see what is possible. It opens the door for God's purpose. It opens the door for more. And there is so much more. <laughs> when we forgive someone for what they do, it doesn't always change them, but every time it changes you. Every time we forgive. Can I tell you a little secret? I never feel like forgiving. <laughs> never. I never just think, thank you for that hurt. That was a wonderful offense. I received this opportunity to grow. 
No, I never think that. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like up in arms. I'm ready to fight. Like, calm down. That's just on the train ride here, by the way, before I preach. It is a choice. It is a decision of my will to forgive. And sometimes my will has got to be stronger than my emotions. My emotions cannot dictate everything I do. They matter. Emotions are an indicator. They are a gift from God. If you don't believe it, people have told you not to have emotions. Read the Psalms. Oh, emotional. It's amazing. But they don't have to dictate our lives. It is a decision of the will. Many of you have heard my personal story, and I'm not going to go into it today, but I am telling you I had some impossible mountains to overcome. I've got abuse in my past. I was the victim of a violent sexual attack. I have been through the ringer. I have suffered addiction. I have gone through it. I have been to the deepest, darkest pits of hell. I never thought I would come out. <laughs> and God, in his mercy, he reached in that pit, and he set my feet on a solid rock. He forgave everything I ever did. And he empowered me to release those that had power over me. He is a good father. He is able. He is willing. <laughs> Colossians 3, 13 through 14 in the message version says this. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Forgiveness is releasing a debt that someone owes you. That Greek word, ephemia, it's used for the word forgive in multiple New Testament passages about forgiveness. And it literally means to send away, to remit, to refrain from exacting a payment. Anybody have to refrain this morning? Got a few relationships in your life that you want to collect on? And the Lord's talking to you about mercy. He's talking to you about forgiveness. God is able to handle it on his own. He is the ancient of days. You know what that means? God keeps an accurate record. The Bible says that he is justice, which releases us from having to be that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, which releases us from violence and anxiety and fear and control and getting those suckers back because God himself can do it. He is able. He has an accurate record of every wrong, and he will hold people accountable. He has got you. Through his grace, we are able to reject violence and rage and bitterness and receive love and mercy and grace and compassion to operate in the love of God. We can forgive quickly and thoroughly because God has the ability to contain all that pain. We don't have it. We need something bigger to contain the pain, to contain our sin. Because some of us in here are dealing with something that we did ourselves, a way that we hurt someone, and the guilt has got us so far underwater we don't know if we're going to drown or come up out of the water. And whatever you have done, 
This is a savior who heals, who forgives, who releases. He was on the cross, dying, looked over at a criminal on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Whatever you have done, the Lord Jesus is able to forgive. He is able to put us in right relationship with God, to inherit the beautiful purpose that he has for us. He is powerful and he is able. The Bible also says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to carry that sin around with us. It does not have to sit on our neck like a heavy yoke because the Lord says in his word that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. So whatever you came here with this morning, whatever yoke of bondage might be on you, the Lord can break that. He is powerful. By his spirit, he can free us. You don't have to nurse it and rehearse it and then nurse it and rehearse it and then nurse it and rehearse it until everything that you see is through the lens of what you've done. And if you have been offended, you don't have to nurse it and rehearse it so that everything you see is through the lens of what has been done to you. Because we have a God who did it, who finished the work, who completed it. He got up on that cross for all of that and said, it is finished. It's a finished work on the cross that gives us forgiveness, that provides opportunity for us to grow, to change, to receive his grace. And it must be said that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. The act of forgiveness is entirely dependent upon us. But reconciliation requires repentance from the other party and a mutual desire to seek after reconciliation. Cody preached this brilliant message last week on mission, and he talked about the true point of the Good Samaritan story. <laughs> Jesus is talking to a lawyer when he says, God, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the smart lawyer says, who is my neighbor? Because to him, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Is there somebody in your life that you want to forgive? And God's got the label good in front of them. You're like, no. Good no. Never. He was making the point to the lawyer that our neighbor is actually those who are hardest to love. We offer them grace and forgiveness because the Christian faith compels us to do it, makes us able to do it. And trust is earned. Sorry does not mean changed behavior. A sorry doesn't mean jack without changed behavior. And so you do not have to re-engage with people who are unwilling to change, who are perpetual herders, who are perpetual offenders. You do not have to be in relationship with them. You get to make that choice. Forgiveness is our responsibility. Reconciliation is a mutual decision that you can say no to. My best friend Harmony Duskrillo says, there can be no reconciliation without recovery. There can be no reconciliation unless someone is willing to go through the process of recovery. We have to be restored before we can walk again in relationship. I'm going to invite the team to come up here. Our worship team. You know, we become like God when we forgive. I know there's going to be a lot of movement around here, but you multitask all day. So you got this. Are you with me? We become like God when we forgive. We become like God 
We are engaging with a divine power in order to forgive. It's literally not human. I shared with you some of my story earlier. It is not possible as a human being to forgive some of the things that I have had to forgive. It is only by the grace of God, by a supernatural encounter with the Lord, as he reveals his freedom, his grace, his compassion, his love, then I'm able to step in to the grace and forgiveness of God. Even what feels like what is impossible to forgive is impossible. It is possible for you to stretch out your hand and forgive. It is possible for you to stretch your hand out to forgive. I think sometimes that we struggle not just to forgive, but to receive what's on the other side of our forgiveness. All the good gifts that God has for us because we just don't know what they are. If we're honest, social media, work, the busyness of life, sheer exhaustion gives us great excuses to never really engage with God on a consistent enough basis to know who he is. But how can you become like someone that you don't know? How can you ever become like God if you don't know God? How can you ever walk fully in the power of his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his compassion? We struggle to see ourselves as God sees us. And that's important because what you think about yourself is how you act in the world. These thoughts that float around in here that live inside your heart then help you operate in the world. And when it's clouded with things that are not true, when it's clouded with things that are not God's word, when it's clouded with lies that maybe happened when you were a kid, happened under some coach, happened under some teacher, it's difficult to operate in a way that is like God. And this morning, I want us to engage with some freedom, with some real freedom, because growing in Christ and in forgiveness means seeing God as he really is through Jesus and seeing ourselves as he sees us through the lens of what Jesus has done. It is not about what we have done. It is not about what we have not done. It is all about what he has done. He is able to move in your life this morning. And I'm hoping you came to church this morning not just to sit here and then go home. I'm hoping that you wanted to have an encounter with the God who changes things. I'm hoping that you wanted to have an encounter with Jesus who is able who is sufficient to meet your need? Who is the provider of it all? The source of your strength and your power. And I believe God's going to meet us here this morning. I want to read some stuff over you as the rest of the team comes. Because we're going to do some stuff a little bit differently today. We're just going to have a few moments of worshiping God together. We've used these declarations in this church before. But I think it bears repeating. I think we need to be reminded consistently of who we are. The Lord has promises attached to his word of who we are in him. And I want to read them to you this morning. I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. I am alive with Christ. I am free from the law of sin and death. I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me. I am born of God, and the evil one does not touch me. I am holy and without blame before him in love. I have the mind of Christ. I have the peace that surpasses all human understanding. Who needs that this morning? Peace that surpasses all human understanding. 
I have the greater one living in me. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. I have received the gift of righteousness and reign as a king in life by Jesus Christ. I have received the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. The eye of my understanding being enlightened. I have received the power of the Holy Spirit to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. To cast out demons. To speak with new tongues. I have power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm me. I have put off the old man and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him who created me. I have given and it is given to me, good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. I have no lack for my God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one with my shield of faith. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I am God's child. For I am born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I am God's workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. I am a new creature in Christ. I am a spirit being alive to God. I am a believer, and the light of the gospel shines in my mind. I am a doer of the word and blessed in my actions. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I am an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and of the word of my testimony. I am a partaker in his divine nature. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am not my own. If we just knew that, you don't have to hold it all. You belong to something bigger who is able to hold it. I am his elect, full of mercy, kindness, humility, and long-suffering. I am forgiven of all of my sins and washed in the blood. I am delivered from the power of darkness and translated into God's kingdom. I am redeemed from the curse of sin, sickness, and poverty. I am firmly rooted, built up, established in my faith, and overflowing with gratitude. <laughs> I am called of God to be the voice of his praise. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I am raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. I am greatly loved by God. I am strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. I press toward the goal to win the prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in, within me. I want us to stand because we're going to worship this morning. And I know it might feel unusual, but we're going to. And we have a prayer team over here available. If you'd like, during this song.